MSW Media. News was wearing daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, August 4th, 2020. Today, Cy Vance files his response to Trump's new excuses to block the Mazars subpoena and reveals he is indeed investigating fraud in the Trump Organization. Four of Pompeo's aides are subpoenaed by the House Foreign Affairs Committee. A top Federal Reserve official recommends a four- to six-week shutdown to benefit the economy. Nevada passes a bill to mail all voters' ballots amid the pandemic. A retired general appointed to a position in the Pentagon that won't require Senate confirmation. And Deutsche Bank opens a review into a personal banker to Trump and Kushner. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody. Big show today. Thanks to everyone for listening Today, I will be speaking with David Enrich, author of the Dark Towers uh, book. Back on the show, he's going to come back to discuss the Deutsche Bank uh, opening of an investigation into Rosemary Vrablic. That's the banker that skirted policy to continue to lend money to Trump and Kushner. And we'll have, obviously, headlines from under the radar. There's a bunch of news, as you heard in the intro there. And we'll do the good news block with Jordan Coburn as well. Per usual, there is a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Lead story today, at least in my mind, is the new filing by Cy Vance, the Manhattan district attorney, in his case to subpoena Trump's tax firm's Mazars for his, Vance's, grand jury investigation. If you're a longtime listener, it will come as no shock to you what is in this filing, which was due today as part of an expedited schedule set by the D.C. District Court after the case was kicked back down by the Supreme Court, who roundly rejected Trump's arguments to block the subpoena. Trump had argued that the subpoena was an overreach, overly broad, and should be considered void because the president can't be investigated due to some imaginary absolute immunity that he has. As you'll remember, the Supreme Court said that's stupid, um, paraphrasing, but gave Trump another shot at coming up with a better excuse and kicked it back down to the lower courts. The lower court set forth a filing schedule, and August 3rd was Vance's deadline to respond to Trump's request for a dismissal. Now, What I and a lot of us have been saying for a while now is that Vance was investigating the Trump Organization uh, and Trump Org executives for fraud when they paid Cohen back for his payoff of Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal, and that Vance was also investigating the Trump Organization for tax and insurance fraud in response to both Cohen's testimony and the New York Times piece, which was bolstered by the financial documents Mary Trump provided to the investigative reporters, alleging that Trump inflated his assets to the bank to make him look better to get loans and deflated the value of his assets to defraud insurance companies. But we had not had any confirmation on the scope of what Vance was actually investigating until today. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office suggested on Monday that it has been investigating President Trump and his company for possible bank and insurance fraud, and that is a significantly broader inquiry than prosecutors have acknowledged in the past. Until now, the District Attorney's inquiry had appeared largely focused on the hush money payments made in the run-up to the 2016 presidential election to the two women I mentioned before who said they had affairs with Mr. Trump. And in the new filing, the prosecutors did not directly identify the subject of their inquiry, but said that the undisputed assertions in earlier court papers and now several news reports about Mr. Trump's business practices showed that the office had a wide legal basis for the subpoena. 
quote, in light of these public reports of possibly extensive and protracted criminal conduct at the Trump organization, uh, there was nothing improper or even unusual about the subpoena. And that's according to Vance in the filing today. In fact, Vance cited newspaper investigations that concluded the president may have illegally inflated his net worth and the value of his properties to lenders and insurers. They also included an article on the congressional testimony of his former lawyer and fixer, Michael Cohen, who told lawmakers last year that the president had committed insurance fraud. Lawyers for the president have denied wrongdoing since the beginning. Mr. Trump's lawyers argued last week that the subpoena was overly broad and politically motivated in presidential harassment uh, and asked the federal judge, Victor Marrero, to block it and declare it unenforceable, the subpoena to Mazars, not to Trump, but to Mazars. Mr. Vance's office responded with filing on Monday contending that Mr. Trump's argument, quote, rests on the false premise that the grand jury's investigation is limited to so-called hush money payments made by Mr. Cohen in 2016. So basically, Trump's lawyers are saying you want eight years of tax documents for a a hush money catch and kill uh, case that that happened in 2016? Baloney. That's overly broad. Well, Mr. Vance said, no, it's not because we're not just looking at the hush money payments. Quote, this court is already aware that this assertion is fatally undermined by undisputed information in the public record. Um, This is what the prosecutors wrote before citing the different media accounts. In a recent federal court hearing, Mr. Vance's office accused Mr. Trump of dragging out the legal fight in order to effectively shield himself from criminal investigation. Quote, what the president's lawyers are seeking here is delay. That's according to Dunn, the lawyer in Mr. Vance's office, and that's what the D- Dunn told Marrero, the judge. Mr. Dunn also said the longer Trump fights the case, the greater the chance that the statute of limitations will expire for any potential crimes that, he, that may have been committed, effectively granting the president immunity. So abusing the court system to delay the case is an effective way to get immunity by by allowing these statute of limitations to lapse. And Mr. Dunn argued, let's not delay kill the case. Jay Sekulow, lawyer for the president, you know that douchebag, he denied uh, after the hearing that Mr. Trump's lawyers were pursuing a strategy of delay. He said, our strategy seeks due process. Um, That was in an email Mr. Sekulow sent. If Mr. Vance succeeds in eventually obtaining Mr. Trump's records, however, they are unlikely to become public. We've said this on a million occasions uh, because they will be shielded by grand jury secrecy rules. Very sacrosanct. It's very, very limited that you can get these grand jury materials. In fact, the grand jury materials in the Mueller case are still being adjudicated in court. The records might only emerge later if criminal charges are brought and the records are introduced at trial. That is likely when we will see them. Or at least we'll be able to glean what's in them if we see indictments. Another thing we learned from the Vance filing today is that he has hired former Department of Justice Solicitor General under Clinton to appear uh, pro hack vicae, or for this occasion only in the subpoena case. His name is Dillinger. And Dillinger has said previously that Judge Marrero's opinion in the case was, quote, an emphatic rejection of the imperial presidency claim that a president cannot even be investigated, not just prosecuted, not just indicted, but couldn't even be investigated. In fact, if we remember when we covered the oral arguments for this and the arguments in court in the lower court system, we had talked about how their argument was actually, if in a, in a hypothetical, if Trump actually shot someone on Fifth Avenue, that the police wouldn't even be able to stop him from brandishing the gun 
nor would they be able to arrest him, detain him, or investigate him for the murders. Also of issue, impending statute of limitations are nearing and could hinder authorities from pursuing charges if a case is warranted. And, and for that reason, they argue every day that goes by is another day Trump effectively achieves the temporary absolute immunity that was rejected by this court, the Court of Appeals, and the Supreme Court. Further, Trump's new claim says uh, that the subpoena is overbroad and issued a, it, issued, it was issued in bad faith for political purposes and has been raised in arguments throughout the litigation that led to the major Supreme Court ruling but was never formally presented by Trump's legal team, allowing them to raise it now that the immunity issue is dead. The DA also says Trump's argument fails for the additional reason that it rests on the false premise that the grand jury's investigation is limited to so-called hush money payments made in 2016 in seeking to justify the pursuit of his tax records dating to 2011, Prosecutors cited past media reports documenting what they characterize as possibly extensive and protracted criminal conduct at the Trump Organization dating back over a decade. And if you'll remember, uh, in our coverage of the Manafort case and the Manafort trial, he was able to be prosecuted for very old tax crimes because he kept criming. Uh, the statute of limitations clock doesn't start ticking until you stop criming in that particular set of criminal activities. And so if there is an ongoing uh, continual, annual um, defrauding of the government and, and insurance companies, then it can go back as far as it needs to go back. And that is why they're asking for eight years worth of tax documents here, because they aren't just trying to get the hush money catch and kill fraud case, uh, which Cohen's in jail for, by the way. We'll continue to cover the stories unfolds, obviously. And also this just in, the House Oversight and Reform Committee on Monday has asked the Postmaster General, Louis DeJoy, to answer questions at an upcoming hearing as concerns mount over delivery delays and how they could affect and impact mail-in voting. Chairwoman Carolyn Maloney announced the committee sent a letter to DeJoy asking for his testimony on September 17th to examine operation changes to the U.S. Postal Service. Maloney wrote a letter to DeJoy saying, quote, The Committee on Oversight and Reform requests your testimony at a hearing to examine recent changes to the U.S. Postal Service operations and standards and the need for on-time mail delivery during the ongoing pandemic and upcoming election, which you may know may be held largely by mail-in ballot. A letter indicates that Maloney tried to schedule the hearing this week, but the Postmaster General had a meeting with the, the Board of Governors and couldn't make it. And Maloney uh, said staff confirmed his availability for September 17th. So that's what's going on with that. And, you know, as you know, I mean, I had posted a tweet earlier like, why September 17th? Well, as it turns out, um, there is a congressional recess. And so, you know, it's sort of actually going faster than it seems, because they're going to be, uh, you know, they're on break all month. So they were going to do it this week, but that, nope, it's going to be September 17th, which is, I believe, I'm looking at the calendar here, Labor Day is the 7th, they come back on the 8th. It's only nine days after they get back in session. I personally wouldn't be taking these vacations in the middle of this, but this was actually set up, this vacation and this this congressional schedule was set up and agreed to uh, last January. So here we are. And four of Mike Pompeo's aides have been subpoenaed, and we'll be right back with that story and more with headlines from Under the Radar and Jordan Coburn. So stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. 
Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Daily Beans. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Everyone goes through challenges and ups and downs. And if there's anything interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, I recommend you try BetterHelp. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's licensed professional counseling done securely online. They'll assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in less than 24 hours. As you know, I've personally dealt with trauma and PTSD, and I'm a big believer in seeking help when you need it. And BetterHelp's service is available for clients worldwide, and they have a broad range of expertise in their counselor network, a lot of which might not be available locally in your area. The best thing about BetterHelp is you can log into your account anytime from anywhere and send a message to your counselor, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aids available. Visit their website and read their testimonials like this one by BetterHelp user J.O. who says, Dr. Barzilia is wonderful. She has recently invested so much time in listening listening to and understanding me. She's thoughtful, kind, and considerate. My life has drastically improved because of her. I'm forever grateful. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners. You can get 10% off your first month. Just go to BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It is time for Headlines from Under the Radar with Jordan Coburn. Jordan, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. It is a beautiful day outside. The sun is shining. It's nice. Yeah. It's not too hot today. Mm-mm. I'm I'm doing the windows open thing today, so. Yeah, I did. I did remember, though, that here the summer tends to go into like August or August, uh, like October. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll have that heat wave. Yes, we will. Like, and then we'll have one final week of hotness in November and then it'll then we'll get our second winter. Yeah. Yeah. You know how it goes. How are you? Good. I'm doing good. Thank you. I've just been cleaning today and doing some chores and some laundry and, you know, feeding the animals and and all that good stuff. Trying to get um, get everything ready for our vacation, which, again, to tell everybody, is August 24th through the 28th. Uh, there will be content. We will put stuff out so you won't be left high and dry. Uh, you'll, you'll still get shows. It just won't be uh, up to the minute breaking headlines from the day before. Um, but we do have uh, quite a few of those for today. And I can go ahead and kick us off because yesterday, you know, we reported that the House Foreign Affairs Committee chairman, Elliot Engel, had subpoenaed Mike Pompeo to answer questions about a bunch of shit he did wrong. But today, uh, from Kyle Cheney at Politico, Engel has also issued subpoenas for four of Pompeo's senior aides, including Brian Bellotto. That's the Undersecretary of State for Management and a longtime Pompeo, like, acolyte. Uh, also, Deputy Assistant Secretary of State Mike Miller, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State Merrick String, and Senior Advisor to Pompeo Tony Porter. The subpoenas are an escalation in the committee's confrontation with the State Department, which has resisted repeated oversight attempts by the committee since the impeachment, all you know, last year since impeachment investigations. Uh, quote, the administration continues to cover up the real reasons for Mr. Linick's firing by stonewalling the committee's investigation and refusing to engage in good faith. This is from a letter Engel wrote uh, to the oversight House Oversight Chairwoman Carolyn Maloney and Senator Bob Menendez. All the you know, these top Democrats on the Senate Foreign Affairs Committee sent said in a joint statement. Um, and they say that that stonewalling from Pompeo has made these subpoenas necessary. 
Bilotto is seen by Democrats as the linchpin. By the way, Linick was the inspector general that was fired at Pompeo's request. And Bilotto is seen as the uh, linchpin in their investigation and an enforcer of sorts for Pompeo, who Linick said attempted to bully him into shying away from sensitive investigations about Pompeo's abuse of taxpayer resources and stewardship of an arms sale to Saudi Arabia. The other aides, Democrats say, were aware of the circumstances of Linick's departure uh, or of the two investigations that he said raised questions about Pompeo's actions. Linick testified to the House Foreign Affairs and the House Oversight and Government Reform Committees last month, leading the panels to request interviews with Bolado uh, and the other aides. Uh, Bolado had been slated to appear on July 2nd, but Democrats deferred to a State Department request for a delay on the eve of his testimony, citing the need to review the recently completed Inspector General's report on the Saudi arms sale. Democrats also agreed to postpone the other witness depositions until after Bilotto's appearance, but by Monday, uh, their patience had run out. Hmm. This is from Politico. They say, quote, the strained relationship between Linick and Bilotto is at the heart of the committee's investigation. Bilotto told the committee that Linick botched an investigation into his own office's handling of a sensitive report about political retaliation inside the State Department, which leaked to the media ahead of its release. Linick was cleared in that probe by the Pentagon watchdog Glenn Fine, who's also been fired, by the way, whom Linick had asked to conduct the review. Linick told lawmakers he faced pressure to stop probing the Saudi arms sale, which Pompeo allies said was policy, a policy dispute rather than a question of management. Linick said uh, his response was that he was investigating the implementation of the policy, which was within the inspector general's scope. And Linick also emphasized that Bilotto was among the smaller inner circle of Pompeo aides who were informed of his ongoing probe of Pompeo's use of government resources. And Linick, as we know, was also investigating the role of Pompeo's wife, Susan Pompeo, and what role she played at the department and whether she and her husband improperly used State Department staffers to run personal errands for them. So... That's all going down, um, and uh, now they've they they're like, you know what? Fine, we'll just here's some subpoenas. Then if you won't, you know, we continue to stonewall us. Won't mm-hmm. send documents. Won't won't appear voluntarily. So we'll see how that goes. God, same story over and over again. Different details. Yeah, I know, right? Just fill in the blanks. Yeah, it's infuriating. I can. I, ah. Anyways, um, cool. I got a Nevada story. So Nevada State Legislature, they passed a bill that's going to guarantee mail-in ballots to all active voters. So that's overwhelmingly Ooh. good news. Yeah, but Trump pretty pretty much immediately came out and he's threatening that the bills he's going to, he's like, um, yeah, just threatening to challenge the bill because he's saying it's an attempt to steal the election from him. And it's another, you know, he tweeted out this like, this is, it's okay, it's so bad. He says, in an illegal late night coup. Again, with the coup obsession, dude. In an illegal... He wants to be cooed so bad. No one's gonna coup you, bro. You're fucking not at that point in your dictatorship yet, alright? I know you wish you were, but you're not. No one's fucking cooing you, okay? Anyways, he goes, In an illegal late-night coup, Nevada's clubhouse governor made it impossible for Republicans to win the state. Post office could never handle the traffic of mail-in votes without preparation. Using COVID to steal the state? See you in court. The whole state of Nevada? Gonna be hard to fit in there, but I think he's... (laughs) He's, um... Yeah, he's just the fucking... I started singing this jingle in my head whenever I read something horrible that he's done, and I just go, just the worst, and then I just move on, because it's like, I have to acknowledge it (laughs) in some way. (laughs) 
And music is uh music is a great way to acknowledge something, but also like protect your soul. So uh, um, just the worst. Just the I like worst. it. And then, <laughs> and then I keep going because I can't <laughs> not acknowledge it. You know, like if you stop it really acknowledging it, then I then I I'm terrified that I'm gonna start to think that it's like you know normal and. I certainly don't think I'll ever believe it's acceptable, but it is just really fucking bad. But to just explain some more of, you know, focus on the good news part of it, because I believe Trump will not be successful in taking this bill down. But Nevada, they passed it. It was called Assembly Bill 4. Um, In June, their primary election just was the same case that we saw play out in Georgia. People just waiting hours and hours and hours to cast a ballot. They didn't have enough polling places. It was just a complete pandemic-fueled mess. And the bill is supposed to be designed to get eliminate those long lines. They actually have a minimum requirement for polling locations that need to be set up. So they're attacking that issue head-on. And then all of those centers need to be able to receive the mail-in ballots that every active voter will be getting now and will also be receiving in the future in the event of any other statewide disaster or emergency declaration. So it's a really good bill. Um, yeah, I mean, not to give all the spotlight to Donald Trump's shittiness, I'd like to just commend Nevada for getting a good bill passed, or what appears to be a good bill. Yeah, he, he just said in in his uh, presser uh, that it only lasted about 15 minutes. The final question was by OAN, and then he just sort of walked off after fielding the question he wanted to answer. Um, he said yeah, he's probably going to sue uh, Nevada tomorrow. Uh, is, is, is I think when when we should be able to see that lawsuit. Now, what I expect to happen is that, um, I mean, you know, they could put a stay on this, uh, or they could, you know, put a, give a stay in favor of Nevada and say, hey, this is their bill. You know, we'll see what happens. But Trump uh, is probably going to sue Nevada over this tomorrow. I mean, I definitely don't know enough about the precedents that exist for that type of lawsuit, but I really feel like the stay would be granted in Nevada's favor, not Trump's. But mm. I would, I would hope so. Yeah. Yeah. That, with that being said, it's literally just a feeling <laughs> coming from coming from. Well, my, you uh, usually my... like to err on the side of the Constitution, which gives the states control over their own elections, right. and so you would you would like to think. Uh, that the courts would be like, mm, I think we'll err on the side of the Constitution mm-hmm. instead of, uh, you know, Trump's wild, outrageous claims Absolutely. that he is actually in control of states' voting rules. But we'll see. Absolutely. Because what does he have to prove in court then? That it is the case that mail-in voting overwhelmingly results in fraud? Is Is that what he has to win? Because if that's what he has to win, good fucking luck. I can't imagine a, a judge ruling on that. Who knows what his, uh, you know, excuse du jour will be. I mean, right. it's it's all like when, when he came back to to refile his uh, disagreement with the subpoenas in the Vance case for Mazars, you know, they were like, all right, what's this bullshit excuse this time? At first time, it was it was too broad and it would be too burdensome for him yeah. to respond to, even though it was Mazars that had to respond and that he had absolute total blanket presidential awesome immunity and you couldn't touch him. Mm-hmm. And they they said no to that. And so then they were like, oh, what's his next bullshit excuse? And and his you know, his follow up bullshit excuses were just as bullshit as the first bullshit ones. And so we'll see. We'll see. I mean, you know. I there I can't think of a legitimate reason uh, why, uh, but that hasn't stopped him uh, from doing this kind yeah. of thing, filing these kinds of lawsuits before. 
Yeah. Yep. And uh, he's also, I mean, you know, he's done so many things to sort of skirt the rules and, and find loopholes to make end runs around shit. In fact, um, the next story up here is that a controversial Trump administration pick for a top Pentagon post has been placed into a senior role days after his nomination hearing was canceled amid bipartisan opposition to his nomination. Retired Army Brigadier General Anthony Tata had uh, formally withdrawn his nomination to be the Defense Department Undersecretary of Defense for Policy and uh, has been designated, quote, the official performing the duties of the Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, reporting to the Acting Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, uh, Dr. James Anderson. And so when the nomination hearing for Tata was canceled Thursday, Trump told aides the plan was to put him in a position he could have without a confirmation hearing. And this is according to a source familiar with the discussions. The role he'll be in now is essentially the deputy or the deputy of the role that he had been nominated for. So it's just like a little step below, but he'll be doing the duties of the role that Trump wanted him to do and uh, that he couldn't get nominated for. Steve Vladek, a CNN Supreme Court analyst, professor at University of Texas School of Law, and we've had him as a guest on this show multiple times, said in a tweet Sunday, the administration's move is an it's all a naked end run around the federal provision that bars Tata from being named to the same position he was nominated for unless he spent 90 days as the first assistant to the position. The clock is now running, according to Vladek. He also says what's especially ridiculous about Tata is that they nominated him to the position and he's withdrawing only because he wasn't going to get confirmed. It's pretty a messed up system when the guy who the Senate was about to nix can effectively end up with the same job anyway. Yeah. So these sorts of things, you know, I mean, and, and, and Trump's been playing fast and loose with the Vacancies Act for a long time now. And he's been everybody's enacting this and enacting that and he talks about how he likes it that way and it just sort of kind of resembles Putin's cabinet. Everybody's there at the discretion of Putin, everyone's sort of acting. These uh, you know, these it's <laughs> so it, 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 Yep, yep, yeah, precisely. And and he's now basically uh said, I don't need Senate confirmation. I'll put people where I want to put them right underneath where I'd put them, make them acting where I wanted to put them, and then, then, then there you go. I don't have to worry about your Senate confirmation bullshit, which takes one of the checks and balances away from the constitutionally provided checks and balances system. So, Yeah, they act like dogs when they act all cute and shit when you go to adopt one, and they're all in their best behavior. They're like, ooh, look at me. Yeah, you like this asshole? Yeah, look at this shit. Yeah. And then they're like... Bait and switch. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> they're just trying to get picked. It's like people on a first date you know like, yeah <laughs> yeah i'm totally not insane i don't have jars of my own toenails uh in my right. closet and you should <laughs> you should take me out on a second date um, yes yes mm. totally and then little do uh any of these subjects know as soon as they're actually made official that's the least attractive thing to a commitment phobe psychopath narcissist and you immediately become <laughs> uh of zero value to trump at that point mm. And you can expect to be fired. Oh, oh, it's harder for me to get rid of you? Oh, well, then uh, I don't like that at all. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Oh, Trump. Um, all right. <laughs> so this this headline coming out, this is something that I had. I don't know if you remember, AG. I had brought this up because my older sister, Amanda, had actually said this 
herself and I thought it was very surprising because she typically you know tends to have very moderate sometimes Republican sometimes Democrat views but she's definitely not like you know us like a super super leftist she had said why can't we just mandate the whole country shut down for like six weeks and we just get this Mm -hmm. super on lock and we'll you know guarantee as much as possible that the spread stops and we'll fucking get this under control so we can get back on track and there is a a federal reserve official top federal reserve official who came out sunday saying that exact same thing he said that the u.s economy Mm -hmm. could benefit if the nation were to lock down lock down really hard were his exact words uh for four to six weeks these are words that are coming from the mouth of neil kashkari Uh, he's president of the minneapolis federal reserve bank he told face the nation uh cbs he said quote if we don't do that and we just have this raging virus spreading throughout the country with flare-ups and local lockdowns for the next year or two, which is entirely possible, we're going to see many, many more business bankruptcies. Um, and he also addressed, you know, Mnuchin, he's said in response to suggestions of of stricter lockdowns or what the lockdown timeline looks like, and the, also the concept of adding debt via coronavirus relief packages, Mnuchin has said, we need to be aware of the debt that we're putting onto the shoulders of future generations. In direct response to that, Kashkari said, "Uh, I'm not worried about it. Congress should use this opportunity to support the American people and the American economy. If we get the economy growing, we will be able to pay off the debt. So there are people, um, yes, there, there there are more people that seem to be getting on board with this concept of trying to you know i mean it's not even nipping it in the butt at this point that the the thing's long overgrown but it's trying to just reset in some fucking way and get back to a more manageable space because right now as we know and as it's been said by even trump's top people it's out of control coronavirus is completely Mm -hmm. out of control right now yeah now we had reported on this um last week when i read former Obama health official Andy Slavitt's thread about this exact same thing. And then, you know, we've been talking about this on the podcast as as the only way to move forward, you know, with shutting down interstate travel, shutting down interdistrict travel, um, be like shutting down hard, just like uh, Kashkari said, for four to six, six to eight weeks. Um, And that would free up PPE, it would free up testing, it would we would be able to find and isolate cases as they as they popped up in small numbers, 10, 12, you know, you know, 20 cases, Mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, thousands. And 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 so that was Andy Slavitt's uh, point. And then, of course, you know, we've been talking about this here on this podcast since we saw in, in February when Doug McNeil went on Matto and, and who's been reporting on pandemics for decades and said, this, this is how we have to do this. And if we don't do this, it'll be out of control. And the community spread, once it's reached a tipping point, we, you know, it'll be really, really hard to contain. And, you know, we're getting to that point if we're not already beyond it. And so I think that it's really interesting that uh, Kashkari is now on board with the hard shutdown. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, totally. But I concur. I agree because the like we said, the cheap ends up becoming more expensive if you ride this fence kind of on and off uh, for a couple of years, and you have to keep putting out two and three trillion dollar, you know, recovery and stimulus packages. It's going to end up costing tens of trillions of dollars when you could do it once. Yeah. You know. 
Yeah, well, it's like we're we're on this sinking ship that's crossing the ocean, and instead of just keeping everything corked up until we can get to the other side, we're like, let's we're playing this game of like, let's see how many bottle corks we can take out of these holes that we've you know been filling, and and see if we can get to the other side successfully that way. Yeah, it's it's like, like that's a really <laughs> stupid, dangerous idea. Like. Stop. It's like, tell you what, team A, you remove the corks. Team B, you get buckets and try to bail water out. And team C, you try to put the corks back in. Everybody Exactly. Go, you know, exactly. And Sparky the Pirate, you can just stick your, your your peg leg in there for the duration and we'll call it a freaking done deal. Okay, everybody, we're going to be fine. Just stay down, lock lock it down, and let's just fucking get there. We're, we're so... It's such a runaround right now. It's like it's breaking everybody's brains. Nobody can get any sort of brain wrapped around. Like there's no end in sight the way that it's going right now. Mm-mm, no, there's not. And and if you want to trust the Trump administration's vaccine uh, warp speed thing that's happening, go right ahead. But I, you know, if it's if it's reasonably another year before uh, half of Americans can get inoculated. If we shut down for six to eight weeks, uh, we would be able to then go back to some semblance of normalcy and keep flare-ups under control. The way it is right now, we have no control over it, particularly since we have no testing and tracing capabilities and we aren't funding states to do that. Uh, So here we are. Yep. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for that story. Um... I know you'll be back with me for the good news block, but before that and right after this break, I'm going to talk with David Enrich uh, and an incredible article, uh, investigative New York Times piece that he's done uh, about a new that, that actually their investigation caused Deutsche Bank to open up a probe into some stuff going on with Rosemary uh, Vra- uh I can never say her name, Vrablic, and, and uh, you know, the millions of dollars she lent to Kushner companies. So stick around. You don't want to miss that. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, you heard me talk about my insomnia and sleeping problems and anxiety and how they were solved with my Helix mattress. It is the best mattress ever. You've heard Jordan talk about hers. It's like sleeping on a cloud. You've heard Mandy and Joelle say it's the best mattress they've had in their life. Well, I'm excited to share that Helix has launched a new company called Allform to bring incredible customizable furniture to the rest of your home. Allform makes beautiful sofas and chairs to your specifications, deliver them, delivers them directly to you with fast free shipping, and then you get to customize your own sofa using premium materials, and it's all at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. With all form, you get to pick your fabric, the color, uh, and it's spill stain and scratch resistant, which is great for pod pets. You get to pick the leg finish, the sofa size, and the shape, and then you just everything to make sure it's perfect for you and your home. I picked out a three-seater sofa and customized it with whiskey-colored leather, walnut-like finish, and a chaise lounge. Came in a couple days. I put it together myself. I absolutely love it. It's roomy and comfy and modern-looking, and the fact that it was designed to my specifications is the best part. Normally, if you want to order a custom sofa, it can take weeks or even months to arrive, and you have to shop because maybe it has the L on the left side and that won't fit in your house, so you have to you know, special order it. And then you would have to have someone come assemble it into your house and you have to have a nine hour delivery window with the freight company and they leave it at the curb. So you got to haul a sofa in by yourself, but not with all form takes just three to seven days to arrive in the mail. You can put it together yourself with no tools. They have gorgeous armchairs and love seats all the way up to eight seat sectionals. So there's something for everyone. And you can always start small and add on if your home or your family grows. 
And best of all, you get 100 nights to decide if you want to keep it. That's more than three months. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. But you will love it. And they have a forever warranty. A literally forever. <laughs> Warranties forever. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash dailybeans. Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners. That's allform.com slash dailybeans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. So Deutsche Bank has launched an internal review of a real estate deal that took place in 2013 between a company partially owned by Jared Kushner or Kushner Companies and an investor in Kushner Companies and three employees of Deutsche Bank, including Rosemary Vrablick. And joining me today to discuss uh, this story is uh, somebody who wrote the story and author of the book Dark Towers, Deutsche Bank, Donald Trump and an Epic Tale of Destruction, David Enrich. David, thanks for speaking with me today. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, we, you know, we had John when the book came out. Figure yep. we bring you back since you are the Vrablic expert, in my personal opinion. <laughs> I'm, I'm certainly the Vrablic obsessive. Uh, <laughs> she, she has been my great white whale. Yeah. So you, you and Jesse Drucker wrote this piece for the New York Times. How did we find out about this real estate deal? Well, Jared Kushner on late on Friday night, uh, he and Ivanka Trump each released their annual financial disclosure forms, and these are things they do every year that disclose in over scores of pages, hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of individual financial transactions that they've done in the previous year and all their different assets and how much income they've made from those assets. And, you know, these things don't change all that much from year to year. And I give my colleague, Jesse Drucker, credit here. And he is so familiar with pouring over these things day in and day out that he immediately noticed that there was a new basically a new LLC that had been added to this long list. And it was called Burgle 715 Associates. And that just immediately jumped out to Jesse as something that, you know, it hadn't been in, in the previous year's disclosures. And just a little bit of quick internet searching led us mm -hmm. to see that one of the transactions that Burgle 715 had recently done, or at least it came up in recent Google searches was with Rosemary Brablick. And a little more digging through public records showed that Burgle 715 had sold an apartment to her and a few of her, a couple of her colleagues back in 2013. And that's a pretty surprising situation. I mean, there's for a number of reasons. And it, it was weird to begin with that Brablick had gone in on buying a Park Avenue apartment in Manhattan, along with two of her colleagues, both of whom were her subordinates. So that, that had struck me as weird. And I'd seen that years ago, just as I was doing due diligence on the Brablick. Um, and had never really been able to make heads or tails of it. But the stranger thing was that a company that was at least partly controlled by Jared Kushner was selling Manhattan real estate to his banker at the time, uh, which is not, that's a real no-no if you are a banker to be doing side personal business with one of the bank's clients. It creates a very real potential for a conflict between your personal interests and the bank's interests. Um, yeah. So. Especially if you're lending millions of dollars to that person or, you know, at least the vehicle at the bank that's doing that. And, and here's a question for you. It, what do you think prompted Deutsche Bank to look into this or say that they're going to look into this transaction? Or Because, I mean, you know, you just said Jesse Drucker was pouring over these things that stood out to him. They were looking, you know, he was looking in there and just a couple of quick Google searches and you were able to see that this was yeah. weird. Um, do you think that that uh, the Deutsche Bank looking into it was a product of y'all finding out about it or a Kushner uh, disclosing it or... 
And then, of course, what prompted Kushner to disclose it differently from how he had in the past? I mean, are there do you think there might be some other sort of outside forces, you know, that that are because these guys tend to not fall into line and report their shit unless something uh, prompts them to, oh, we better get this down on paper so it doesn't look like we were covering it up. Yeah. I mean, look, with Deutsche Bank, I can tell you that Drucker called me Saturday morning, was all kind of worked up and excited about this. I quickly got very excited, too. And later on Saturday, I called the bank and I said, look, I've got to tell you what we found. and I want to get your comment. And the guy I was talking to on the phone there just burst into laughter. Like he couldn't believe what he was hearing. And so this is the first time the bank the, the bank says this is the first time they had heard about when we brought it to their attention. Uh, it's always possible, especially with Deutsche Bank, that they are, that's a lie and that they already had known about this and they're just pretending to be surprised now that it's being brought to the public's attention. I, I'm inclined to actually believe them, though, that they didn't know about this. And why is Kushner disclosing it now? Again, it depends on whom you believe, I guess. And Kushner, first of all, it's worth noting, has a track record on these financial disclosure forms. And I think this is the fourth iteration of them that he's filed. Uh, and they routinely have inaccuracies or just, you know, mistakes that need to be sorted out after the fact. There there have been inconsistencies uh, on different things he's disclosed from year to year in the past. And so it's possible that it was a mistake not to have previously disclosed his interest in this. What we understand from talking to people familiar with Kushner's finances and from talking to the Kushner companies is that this was the disclosure on Friday was triggered by the fact that two of the units in uh, this Park Avenue building that Burgle 715 uh, controls were sold. And that generated um, somewhere between one and five million dollars of income for Jared Kushner, and that's what triggered the reporting requirement. Um, so based on that, if you take that at face value, the this is just kind of like an, you know, a random set of events, basically, that mm. Kushner, this reporting requirement got triggered, Kushner reports it, Jesse Drucker is amazing and saw this, I call Deutsche Bank, and then that triggers an internal investigation. Now, you know, that's, that's probably the most probable you know, scenario. But I think we've all learned over the past several years, not that sometimes weirder things are afoot. And it's certainly true that Deutsche Bank and Kushner right now are both under a tremendous amount of pressure to come clean about some of the stuff that they've been involved with in the past. And then we just, we got a fresh reminder of that today. Uh, we're now learning that the New York district attorney is conducting a criminal investigation of potential bank fraud and insurance fraud as it relates to the Trump organization, and that relates to Deutsche Bank. So there's a lot of pressure on all of these parties to be being more transparent, seeming more responsive and more accountable. And I certainly think in the case of the bank invest, launching this investigation of Rablick, that they are taking pains to at least appear publicly mm-hmm. as if they are turning over a new leaf and are trying to be a much better behaved and you know, less sketchy institution. <laughs> well, because that was my thought, too. It's like I didn't think, you know, we had the, the House, three House committees. One of them had subpoenaed Deutsche Bank and Capital One, but that is now sort of on hold. Um, but we did have the Vance um, investigation, which you just brought up, the Manhattan District Attorney, 
uh, who's trying to get the Mazars documents, and we know Deutsche Bank's all over those, and it looks like he's, uh, to me, he's probably going to win that case. But, you know, who knows? We don't know. But again, you're right. You know, it just seems like, uh-oh, we might, you know, be in the spotlight here again. Let's try to cover our, or like you said, give the appearance of looking legitimate and not at all weird. And so... You've discussed, though, you've talked about Vreblik in your book, um, The Dark Towers. What other connections does she have to the Trumps through Deutsche Bank? I mean, Vreblik is basically the reason that the Trump and Kushner families and companies have access to the modern financial system. And she both, and in particular, the Trumps, and they were off limits to the mainstream banking world as recently as 2011 because of their, you know, very well-pronounced pattern of loan defaults and uh, bankruptcies. And Kushner, who had, in the Kushner family, had been longtime clients of Ravlik, first at Bank of America and then at Deutsche Bank when she arrived there in the mid-2000s. And Jared Kushner married Ivanka Trump in 2009, and then in 2011 brought his new father-in-law over to meet Vrablic at Deutsche Bank, and they really the two really hit it off, Trump and Vrablic, and that became the basis for the kind of reintroduction or rejuvenation of the Deutsche Bank Trump relationship. And soon Vrablic's division of the bank, the private banking division, started lending hundreds of millions of dollars to uh, Trump and his company, and also started making very big personal and business loans to to Kushner, his family, and his company. So this is, Vrablic is the most important person in the universe of the Trump-Kushner kind of financial world, I would say. And she, she is the person who single-handedly has provided them and their companies with and several hundred million dollars over the past several years. And, and, you know, we've seen some weird real estate transactions with Trump. Um, you know, if you think about the Reblovlev purchase of that mansion yep. and the resale of it. But here, here you do say in this article that there's really no evidence that you can find now yet that that this property was sold to Vreblick and her two associates for less than market value. And there's nothing terribly odd about them turning around and selling it for the profit that they sold it at. Um, but, you know, I mean, still it's, it's, well, I would qualify that a little bit. I right. Mean, there's, there's, no, we have no evidence. <laughs> that was my question. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so, sorry. Sorry. To interrupt, no, you, you're uh, right. You're right. You're right. Uh, I mean, there's, I do think, Look, it's a. They bought it from uh, this uh, ent- Burgle 715 entity for one and a half million dollars. It's a small apartment, and it's in a very desirable neighborhood on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. But it's a roughly 900 square foot, one bed, one bath apartment, and so it's not. That's not a price that's completely out of whack with um, prevailing real estate prices. It's a little unusual that they sold it so quickly. They made a, a, a decent profit. The weirder thing though, is that in between buying it in, uh, June of 2013 and then selling it in, I believe, October of 2015, uh, in, in 2014. So in between those two things, the, the three bankers who had per- gone on this purchase together, transferred the property to another LLC that is that was registered in the home of Vrablic. And so there's something a little bit strange about the deed being transferred barely a year after the original purchase and then, you know, less than a year after the deed was transferred, it gets sold. And there's so 
again, that's not at all evidence of wrongdoing or even a really suspicion of wrongdoing. It's a, it's a bit unusual. And, and again, what's extremely unusual is that a banker, especially a well, a reasonably well-regarded and very experienced banker like Brad, like, would first of all, go in on a real estate transaction with two of her subordinates. And that mm. is not something I've ever seen before. And it's something I know that some people at Deutsche Bank have, because those are publicly reported transactions. And some people have been, you know, they've kind of raised their eyebrows at what was going on there. And and then for it to turn out that the purchase was from an entity, not only part owned by Kushner, but clearly publicly affiliated with Kushner. And the, the Burgle stands for is two families' names smushed together. And uh, the second half of those names is from a very close family friend and, and longtime business partner of the Kushner. So it's a little bit of due diligence would have on, on Vrablic and her colleagues part would have turned up. I think that that's something that was connected to, if not owned by the Kushners. And, <laughs> and again, that's something that any experienced banker is going to know is, you know, at the very least should be disclosed to her employer, if not avoided outright. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's very suspicious to me, although I tend to be suspicious uh, of this family, but you know, to 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 buy it in the name of an LLC, transfer the deed to her personally, and then sell it where she gets the profits. And this is after Kushner's married Ivanka, and after Trump's been introduced, and after uh, you know Vrablic's been helping uh, Trump get uh, all these loans that he should never have gotten. Uh, and who knows? And at a time that no other bank would do. Yeah, it. yeah, exactly. Who knows who co-signed these loans? I mean, I think I know, but we don't have that uh, proof yet. But so you know, here we are now, uh, where it's now they've they've taken they took a deliberate step to put the property to transfer the deed to her so that she could sell it and and receive the profit. Just uh, that seems a little suspicious to me. But you're right. It let's just say everything's above board. It's just it just so happens this, just so happens that to do a to do a transaction with two of your subordinates with a Kushner tied, you know, partially owned company, that's raises eyebrows and and uh, but I am surprised Deutsche Bank's looking into it. They don't see they didn't never seem to me like the type to look into something. So it, I feel like the fact that they are sort of lends credence to people's suspicions. Uh, yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I mean, I think there's I was surprised that they said that. And they've done a very good job over the past couple of years of really circling the wagons around Rablick just because she's been in, under such an intense spotlight and you know, the last thing they, in the world they want is for her to get angry and feel betrayed and to walk off with all these documents that I'm sure she's got and it, and it make a could she could make a huge public there be a, become a huge public nuisance for them. And so the fact that they are now not throwing her under the bus, but making clear that that's not outside the realm of possibility <laughs> is I mean, that, that surprised me. Yeah, well, I mean, she said she makes perfect fall guy, right? Except, except for the fact that she has a whole lot of yeah. uh, information on a whole lot of important people. So, well, thank you for coming on and explaining this to us. Everybody, check out this piece in the New York Times, and of course, uh, check out the book Dark Towers uh, by David Enrich. And you'll, uh, I hope you'll come back on once we, you know, we get any kind of uh, results or sort of uh, what De- Deutsche Bank's Deutsche Bank uncovers in this in this uh, investigation, this probe that they're doing. If we ever find out. (laughs) Well, thank you. I appreciate that. We'll talk soon. It's my pleasure. All right. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back after this with the good news. Hey, friends. AG here. And this segment of Daily Beans is brought to you by our sponsor, FitBod. 
A lot of us are home quarantining, binge-watching shows all day like we're cemented to the couch. I am. And I know at first I wasn't as active as I should be, but that changed with FitBod. Recently, I started realizing during this pandemic it's important for my health, uh, both physical and mental, to stay motivated and active. FitBot has made it easier. Uh, whether you're new to the gym or you've been lifting weights for years, it can be hard to find the right workout program and stay motivated. But with FitBot, you can get personalized fitness programs that adapt to you as you go. FitBot is a smart fitness app that takes all the guesswork out of planning your workouts. FitBot's algorithms factors in your goals, your experience level, the equipment you need, or if you don't have any, workout duration, and muscle recovery time. And they use all this information to craft the perfect total body workout program. With each workout, the app learns your abilities and plans workouts designed to maximize your results. I love that FitBod cycles new exercises into the mix, keeping uh, my workouts fun and fresh. And they keep it balanced, too. They never, like, work a muscle group and then have you work at the, you know, the same group the next day because it's too sore. Uh, and because there's so much variety and the workouts are constantly changing and rotating, I never get bored. So I've stuck with it longer than I do with a lot of exercise plans. With FitBot, I'm always looking forward to the next workout. I can already see results. FitBot is super easy, super easy to use, and they even have HD video tutorials about how to make learning new exercises a breeze. It's perfect for anyone who's looking to get better fitness results, whether your goal is general fitness or strength training or just feeling better or feeling more healthy. Or, you know, Olympic weightlifting if you want. No equipment, no worries. FitBod has body weight routines for those looking to get fit at home or on the go. And they integrate with other fitness health apps like Apple Health, Fitbit, and Strava. Personalized training can also be really expensive, but not FitBod. It's only $9.99 a month or $59.99 a year. You can get personalized fitness plans that help you work out smarter. Go to fitbod.me slash dailybeans. You can try FitBod for free for one month when you sign up today at fitbod.me slash dailybeans. That's one free month. Just go to fitbod.me slash dailybeans. Hey, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news. It's on the way. And joining me today for the good news is Jordan Coburn. Hey, Jordan. Hello. How are you doing? I'm well. We have a lot of good news today sent in by our listeners. Everyone, you can send in your good news stories by going to dailybeanspod.com. And sending it that way. And you can also submit your quarantine confessions there and any corrections you might hear, uh, any errors that we make in the show. And uh, that's where you submit it all. And especially some ideas for the for the happy hour meet and greet theme. We, uh, last week was Flip It Blue. Um, we're trying to figure out what our theme this week is going to be. And we need ideas. So hit us up. You can either do it at the, at the website, dailybeanspod.com. Or, you know, hit us up on Twitter at Muller She Wrote, at dailybeanspod, at Jordan's Confused. Wherever you want to do it. We appreciate it. Beautiful. Thank you so much for the shout out. Um, Twitter's where it's at, dude. There's a whole world on Twitter. Mm. You, you got to get on Twitter, everyone. <laughs> um, all right. Shall I kick it off? Yeah, kick it off. Perfect. Okay. So our first piece of good news comes from an anonymous pronouns he him. He says, I wrote a couple of weeks ago about donating money to my local Maryland district one candidate, Mia Mason, who is running against the red incumbent in my severely gerrymandered district. I joined the Postcards to Voters project after hearing about it on last week's shows. I sent out my first 25 postcards this weekend. I also signed up for Vote Forward. The URL for that, everybody, is votefwd.org. Votefwd.org to mail letters to blue voters to encourage them to vote or register to vote. I've signed up to do 20 letters so far and plan to do more as soon as my stamps arrive. I'm excited to people 
I'm excited to be able to help despite my introvertedness by encouraging people to vote and helping fund the USPS. I am very thankful for the other Leguminati sharing this kind of activism with you awesome ladies to share with people like me. Thanks for all you do, and I hope you enjoy your much-deserved vacation. Yay! Thank you! Yay! Beautiful! Oh, thank God, you. that is the benefit of having a podcast that has a wide listener base. When you tell us dope shit and then we say it, it just makes it so that more people do said dope shit. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It also makes me very overly concerned about like saying not dope shit and having people do not dope shit, <laughs> yeah. but I didn't want them to do not dope shit. Yes, that is true. <laughs> there is another side to that coin for sure. However, said listeners are a very, very incredible listener base, uh, can see through what... Uh, what dope shit they should do and and what i'm just kvetching about i'm 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 pretty sure mm-hmm. yes <laughs> i'm pretty sure <laughs> next up from anonymous she her like i think allison told us to go fuck ourselves i don't think that that was real <laughs> yeah you're correct um if the, next up from anonymous she and i would never say that i'm sorry that made no sense but you not. know what i'm saying anything oh, weird please, please. you know all riffs welcome you know waste everyone waste paper and electricity yeah don't just don't you know better next up from anonymous she her uh, i had to have a covid test because of symptoms but it was negative uh, due to a chronic condition symptoms and the whole process here in chapel hill north carolina was simple and quick i know it is not in other places but i was grateful that my health system tested me got me results and did it fast awesome awesome it is so awesome heck yes yeah, I've seen uh, I've seen mixed reviews from people about how long they've had to wait for their results and how the process has been. But I really do hope overall people are having you know better experiences than they are worse ones. Yeah. Um, and congratulations on testing negative. Yay! Next up from Bonnie, pronoun she her. Bonnie says, after many years of contemplation, I had weight loss surgery in June. Today I cleaned out my closet for a single mom needing work appropriate clothes. I could have sold them, but feels better to have passed them along. Just a few more thirteen gallon bags and more to go. That's <laughs> Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> totally. God, that feels uh so much of that must just feel so you know, lifting and, and freeing getting getting rid of like stuff regardless of the reason is always a really nice feeling. Yeah, as as soon as I can go back to my old office, it's still closed because of coronavirus. But I used to basically keep all my clothes in there on a on a clothes rack. Like I bought one of those rolly clothes racks, and like put all my hung up my work clothes there because my work was the only place I wore work clothes. Everywhere else, I would be at the gym or you know wearing yoga shit or whatever. And so as soon as I go back there, I'm going to have boxes and boxes of all of these, you know, just like express kind of, you know, button up blouses and shit like that. I'll probably keep a handful if I ever, you know, get the experience of television appearances or anything like that or having to meet with, I don't know, go, you know, know, any, I don't know, (laughs) something like that. Uh, Having to look respectable, you know, where the, where the, where the athleisure wear isn't going to do. I'll probably just keep a handful of them, but I was planning on donating the rest to, I know like there's a lot of women who need, you know, um, especially homeless women who are, are, you know, going out to do job interviews and stuff like that. And they need that kind of stuff. And so that was going to be my plan. That was going to be my plan for that. So I'm I'm with you, Bonnie. I'm with you. Yes. Next up from Sabine pronouns. She, her. Hello, defenders of democracy and free speech. Uh, I finally have some good news to report. I live in Europe, 
and the COVID situation where I live is pretty good. Life is sort of back to an adapted version of normal, but I didn't want to rub that in. (laughs) Further good news. That was why I was very careful. It's okay. It's pretty good. Sort of back to an adapted version of normal. Meh. Yeah, I'm sure it's absolutely wonderful, actually. Yeah, uh, Yeah, it's like fucking awesome. Don't don't worry about it. Um, Further good news. I've been listening to your podcast since I was a member at, at the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton. And even now that I've returned to my home country, I still listen religiously. You keep me up to date with all that's going on in the U.S. and with people that I love dearly. Side note, my mom was completely convinced Trump would be removed because when my dad worked at NIH in Maryland when we lived in the U.S. in the 70s, my parents saw the whole Watergate unraveling and Nixon stepped down. So my mom was convinced that history would be repeated and that I would witness Trump's downfall. Alas, it was not to be. Anyways, back to the good news. (laughs) I have very dear friends in Marin County who are extremely active politically and in their community. They help out at a food bank soup kitchen. They drive food to homes for the elderly, etc. And they make calls on behalf of the Biden campaign and urge people to register, etc. To me, these things are alien. Here in the Netherlands, everyone has is registered automatically. There is no difference in the number of polling stations based on the economic social status of a neighborhood or county. Voting by mail is normal and has been for as long as I can remember. To learn what the GOP does to make voting difficult, dangerous, and near impossible for a great number of people angers and sickens me. Anyway, I asked my friend there if there was anything I could do. Yes, I could write postcards. So now I'm writing cards on behalf of Northern Cali- uh, the North Carolina NAACP. Yay. Yes, I'm so happy I can finally do something, even though the, it is the strangest thing I've ever done in terms of being politically active. Here, <laughs> pre-corona, you would hand out leaflets on a train station or give flowers or balloons on a city square. If I can help swing one vote, it's all worth it. Like I keep saying to my American friends, I've tried it with my Dutch friends, but they all just stare at me. Vote blue and vote in numbers too big to manipulate. Let's hope on November 4th we all have hope again. Americans in general and in particular, uh, hope for dreamers, black people, Latinos, Muslims, Asians, LGBTQ+, community members, and anyone who feels insecure in the current environment will have hope for a better future, a future in which everyone will have the same opportunities and choices. Uh, I will be biting my nails and ripping my hair out on November 3rd because the world cannot survive another four years of this corrupt, evil combo of Trump, McConnell, and Barr. The only orange I want to see after November 4th is the whole the whole bunch, including Ivanka, uh, Don Jr., Eric, Jared, etc., in orange-colored jumpsuits being escorted to jail. Yes. Oh, I agree. Me too. I agree. God, do you remember when we used to put them on our fantasy and diamond leagues consistently, thinking that that was, like, actually maybe a possibility <laughs> at the time? Yeah, I remember December of 2017 being like, they were going to get, I know they're going to get Don Jr. any minute now for that, you know, for accepting, you know, soliciting and or accepting foreign help. Uh, nope. Yep. He really leveled up with Barr. That was a massive mm. level mm. up for him and his dastardly deeds. Mm-hmm. Dastardly Ugh. deeds. <laughs> God. Um, all right. Thank you so much. Next up from Sarah. Pronoun she hurt. She says a portion of Dump's impenetrable border wall blew over in the wind. LOL. How strong a wind, you ask? <laughs> up to 37 miles per hour gusts. My camping tent can withstand stronger wind. In all caps. <laughs> I, I am, I'm so happy. And then, and then Sarah leaves a link. Uh, CNN story. It's a U.S. border wall falls over video. high winds. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. Yeah, man, that fucking all everything about that thing sucks so bad. Ugh. It's fun to watch it blow over. Yeah, seriously. Um, should I read the next one? 
Uh, short. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. Because we need a uh, equal voice time on good news. I guess we've. Mm. We, uh, mm-hmm. Next up from Carrie, pronouns she, her. Carrie says, back in early May, I just under 29 weeks pregnant, my sister had to give birth to my nephew all alone. Oh my God. My brother-in-law didn't quite make it there because it was an emergency. My new nephew, Teddy, was born at two pounds, four ounces. He went straight to the NICU and my sister and her husband have been there every day since visiting with him while he grew stronger. We adopted the hashtag hashtag steady teddy amongst the family as we cheered on his advancements today after 74 days in the nicu at five pounds 13 ounces they brought him home to meet his three big brothers i'm so happy for my sister and so proud of the strength and dedication she's shown throughout this also have to give a shout out to my parents who traveled there to stay with them taking care of my other nephews for most of this time so they could visit the nicu every day i love my family oh man Mm. thank god for all of that man 74 days in the NICU that's a really long time and um congratulations that's so incredible yay Teddy steady Teddy yeah yeah wow Mm -hmm. ah congrats that is really really good news next piece of good news comes from Patrick pronouns he him I was raised in a very conservative household and I wanted to make sure I raised my son in a welcoming and accepting environment Since quarantine, I've been increasingly relying on Netflix as help in keeping my son occupied. I know I'm terrible. No, you're not, Patrick. I was searching for good shows with positive messages. I'm happy to report that both of the last two shows I binged with my son have been strong female leads, have had strong female leads and uh, feature positive portrayals of LGBT plus characters. I'm speaking, of course, about Kaipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts and She-Ra. Thanks, Amy. I've struggled I've struggled with how to bring up LGBTQ issues with my son in a way that's understandable and approachable for him. I decided to ask him if if he got married when he got older, who would it be to? And he replied, I would marry a man and a woman so that I could have more people to help me take care of my pets. <laughs> yes. I don't know if his answer was simple? super progressive. <laughs> It was super progressive or just a normal kid's answer. Either way, I think the new generation offers hope for humanity. Oh, my God. That's so fucking funny. That's great. Hell, yes. Just a man and a woman. You have a very polyliterate child. (laughs) And, you know, more people to take care of the pets. Makes sense to me. Yeah, seriously. It takes a village, right? Dude, wait until your kid, yeah, finds out about communes. Like, (laughs) hell, yes. Waco will devastate them. All right. The next the next two are yours because <laughs> okay. this one's short. Okay. Um, next up from, from Mo in Miami, pronoun she, her. Mo says, good morning, queens of the beans. Nice. I like that. Uh, the good news is that ProPublica and their buddies have convinced a judge to release the disciplinary records of naughty officers in New York. From our friends at hashtag courthouse news. And then they dropped the link if you look up courthousenews.com slash judge greenlights database of nypd disciplinary records just type that into google you'll find it um fantastic naughty cops expose them all constantly uh thank you next up from anonymous pronoun she her she says i was raised in a small rural town where my parents were also raised and have lived all their lives while i moved back to the city for college and now live in the burbs my parents are still small town folk in quotes 
The town is largely poor, uneducated, and white, which means tons of Trump supporters. Thankfully, my parents are not, since they are amazing, open-minded people who also raised me as such. But they understandably have a limited worldview. Lately, I've been talking to them about politics and sharing news under the radar. A lot of stuff they had no idea was happening. That's... Yes. I love to hear that. We talked about presidential mm-hmm. candidates a while back. My dad named a few he liked, but said, definitely not Elizabeth Warren. I asked him why, and he couldn't really give an answer, but just that she bugged him. I then talked to him about disinformation campaigns that Russia and the GOP run to frame their opponents in a bad light. Read Hillary Clinton. Just giving him some food for thought. Flash forward a week or so. He said to me he really thought about what I said and took it to heart. He had never realized he really didn't have a good reason not to like Warren or Hillary. He just didn't and agreed it was likely because of the media spin and manipulation. And let's be real, some ingrained misogyny, I'm sure. I am sure. Nothing personal against your dad. That is just how the fucking patriarchy works. Uh, The fact that I was able to get my almost 70-year-old father to self-reflect and realize his way of thinking might be wrong blows me away. Also, my parents have taught me so much about life and being a good person. It makes me warm and fuzzy knowing I was able to teach them something for a change. (laughs) Smiley face. (laughs) Yay. Awesome. Good on you. Yeah, seriously. Super rad. Yeah, if I had a nickel for everyone who was like, I just, they just bug me. I, you know, they're, they're, their voice or, you know, they, they're too ambitious or the, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible when, you know, and I'm, I'm so glad you were in a position because this is somebody that cares about you and loves you and that you love and care about. So it didn't turn into just a fuck you, fuck you situation, yeah. which is how it often so often ends up on the Internet. It can be like, well, do you, you know why? I, you know, I can't really think of a specific reason. And then took what you said about disinformation campaigns and was like, you know what? I, I, you're right. I, I there's just a lot of media out there saying, you know, just poking at you every day saying aren't these women annoying or you know isn't this candidate mm-hmm. a shill and eh, eh, you know and eventually it gets to you and you're like hmm, yeah and uh that's just that's really awesome and and uh, although i have to say though if they raised you to be a good and wonderful person and they're good and wonderful people i'm not surprised that they you know that they were open to that kind mm-hmm. of communication and i think totally. that that's how we have to approach all of our trump supporting family members you know yeah yeah definitely or yeah people maybe that have ideas that aren't necessarily Trumpian but are definitely being pushed by the GOP. I find it very funny too this concept of needing to check in with yourself as <laughs> on like why you hate someone, <laughs> like taking <laughs> taking hate inventory on occasion sort of. <laughs> and I think because uh, I've been caught sometimes too where there's people that I've definitely been like fuck that person and then someone calls me on it and they're like well why and then I can tell them like a general thing but I've definitely sort of let the facts that originally like got me pissed off kind of fade away and it's like if you're gonna harbor the hate towards someone you should at least harbor the facts with it and if you lose the facts renew your renew your hate vows exactly exactly (laughs) and reevaluate and allow yourself the ability to say you know maybe this hate relationship is just not working out and we can depart We do that with our part, our significant others, right? Like every couple of years yeah. you think, if I just met this person anew, would I like them still? Uh, you know, and, uh, and you have to do the same thing with the people that you, you know, don't like. Yep. But thank you for that story. That's so cool. What a, what a great, that's just awesome. I love that. And I, 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 you know, I can, I can totally relate because my mom is a former Republican and now she's like, fuck those dudes, Allie. They just, I can't even believe it. 
what she'll be like what is up with that what the fuck you know, she's so funny she's like 75 and she's she's like well and so now she starts all these like republican women for kirsten cinema that's her latest and now it's republican women for mark kelly and i'm like mom maybe you're not a republican woman anymore <laughs> <laughs> at some point you have to drop that label <laughs> yeah, if you're a Republican woman for every single Democrat that's run in the last three years, you might be a Democrat. Um, yeah, but she's so fucking cute. That's so funny. Um, I'm like, Mom, you didn't leave the party. The party left you, you know, so. Yes. I, yep. Uh, anyway, next up from Melissa, uh, pronoun she, her. Thank you for keeping me sane during these scary, scary times. I live in Brooklyn, and although New York City has managed to keep COVID-19 under control, we're struggling due to extreme budget cuts. Yeah. The city has reduced garbage pickup on the streets to save money. My neighborhood has been really smelly and dirty for weeks. So the good news is my state senator, Andrew Gonardas, uh, a New York City councilman and New York City councilman Justin Brannon have started a neighborhood cleanup program. Every Wednesday night for the rest of the summer, they pick a different street and volunteers help clean up the garbage. Last night, my mom and I participated for the first time. There were at least 30 people there, so we made a big difference at the end of the night. It felt really good to be part of the community. With no federal money coming in to bail out New York City anytime soon, it's important for New Yorkers to come together and help keep our city going. And then they have a picture of everyone... And their brooms and their cl- oh! Look at look at, yeah! Look at their fake their Mary Poppins asses with those brooms. That's so yeah, cool. and I know. <laughs> it looks <laughs> like them to do the chim chimney chim chimney. Yeah. I wish so you guys will cool. we'll share this picture. How yes. awesome! That is really 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 fantastic. And yeah, I love that. I love that on everybody's part. And there's kids, like people brought their kids out to, yeah. you know, what a great lesson on the importance of community and, and, and togetherness and responsibility, especially, mm-hmm. you know. Everyone's wearing masks. Yep. Yep. That's wonderful. Uh, yes, it is. <sighs> every city. We, every, we should start that everywhere. I've decided. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. That would be my new... I only have a list of 8,000 projects I want to start from Ben. This all come from our listener good news stories. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you, guys. Another incredibly beautiful, you know, a quarter of an hour uh, of uplifting, wonderful good news stories. Um, They really get me through the day. I hope they do the same for you. If you have any, again, go to dailybeanspod.com and share them uh, by clicking on contact. And... Thank you so much for sending these in. Best part of the day. Absolutely. Any final thoughts, Jordan? No, not for me. All right. Well, everyone, until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. I've been Jordan Coburn. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>